Hello, folks. It's Tuesday, July 2nd, and this is episode 37 of Random Encounters in the Library, and it's Literary Tuesday. So, today is Literary Tuesday, and we're going to do things a little different here. So, I finished up what I had left reading, going through the stainless steel rat and um, there wasn't any real new um, interesting like tech or whatever that got used (laughs) so the main thing in that story is the nostril filter plugs and then the various gas bombs there was a uh, bug detector as in you know listening um device um but that wasn't really all that exciting or whatever so it's basically dim degrees pulling off cons and getting caught or almost getting caught and then wondering how he's going to get out of this and um so in that respect is a fantastic book because you're always going all right what the heck is he going to do why is he doing this oh okay well that's cool so the next book i'm reading for literary tuesday is um the lensman saga book one by ee doc smith And I've heard about this for so long. I have a friend at my previous job who would always tell me, you got to check out the Lensman series. But I could never find it. And finally I got the uh, iBooks did a reprint of the first. And... um, like the first volume, and then they have a second volume. Hopefully they got everything out. But the uh, back page has, uh, and it was uh, published in 1948. It's from the atomic age in Atlantis to the far-flung future, here is a story of interstellar war with Earth as the prize for the victor. The elder race of our galaxy, the Arisians, using advanced mental science, has foreseen the invasion of our universe by the evil Edorians. The Arisians begin a breeding program on every world that can produce intelligent life, the goal to produce superior warriors who can repel the Edorians. So this volume is the early history of that breeding program on earth illustrated with the lives of several warriors and soldiers it ends with the discovery of the interstellar space drive formation of the galactic patrol and the first lens an Arisian device that provides its wearer with mind reading and telepathic abilities given to the first lensman on earth so it even has a um a um, comment by J. Michael Straczynski. 
the Lensman books comprise one of the true milestones in science fiction literature. Buy these books, you won't regret it. So, you know. Well, I'm going to find out what that milestone is. I'll finally dive into that. I'll have to let my friend know. Um, so, there you have it. Since I don't have anything um, of significance to present to you today, I figured I would read the... Um, story by Lord Dunsany of how Nuth would have practiced his art upon the knolls. Um, it's a, um, it's mentioned, um, alongside, uh, I think a Margaret St. Clair story of, uh, that it might be like the, um, Precursor to the um, Dungeons and Dragons Knolls. There's a little more um, folk, like um, kind of legend with the uh, emeralds that they like emeralds and stuff, and where they live and whatnot. And um, um, the story also gets mentioned uh, at the in the intro of the DCC free RPG day um, adventure uh, the high house of the Knowles or something like that um, from 2017 I think um, but uh, let me know what you think and hopefully uh, <laughs> it's something that you guys enjoy um, there will be um, a bit of a comment afterwards so if you want to if you get sick of it and you skip ahead then yeah there's something all right take care here it is how Nuth practiced his art upon the knolls how Nuth would have practiced his art upon the knolls by lord dunsany Despite the advertisements of rival firms, it is probable that every tradesman knows that nobody in business at the present time has a position equal to that of Mr. Nuth. To those outside the magic circle of business, his name is scarcely known. He does not need to advertise. He is consummate. He is superior even to modern competition. And, whatever claims they boast, his rivals know it. His terms are moderate, so much cash down when the goods are delivered. So much in blackmail afterwards. He consults your convenience. His skill may be counted upon. I have seen a shadow on a windy night move more noisily than Nuth. For Nuth is a burglar by trade. Men have been known to stay in country houses and to send a dealer afterwards to bargain for a piece of tapestry that they saw there, some article of furniture, some picture. This is in bad taste. But those who culture, 
whose culture is more elegant invariably send Noth a night or two after their visit. He has a way with tapestry. You would scarcely notice that the edges had been cut. And often, when I see some huge new house full of old furniture and portraits from other ages, I say to myself, these mouldering chairs, these full-length ancestors and carved mahogany are the produce of the incomparable Nuth. It may be urged against my use of the word incomparable that in the burglary business, the name of Slith stands paramount and alone. And of this, I am not ignorant. But Slith is a classic and lived long ago and knew nothing at all of modern competition. Besides, which the surprising nature of his doom has possibly cast a glamour upon Slith that exaggerates in our eyes his undoubted merits. It must not be thought that I am any friend of Nuth's. On the contrary, such politics as I have are on the side of property, and he needs no words from me for his position is almost unique in trade, being among the very few that do not need to advertise. At the time my story begins, Nuth lived in a roomy house in Belgrave Square. In his inimitable way, he had made friends with the caretaker. The place suited Nuth, and whenever anyone came to inspect it before purchase, the caretaker used to praise the house in the words that Nuth had suggested. If it wasn't for the drains, she would say, it's the finest house in London. And when they pounced on this remark and asked questions about the drains, she would answer them that the drains also were good, but not so good as the house. They did not see Nuth when they went over the rooms, but Noth was there. Here, in a neat black dress, on one spring morning came an old woman whose bonnet was lined with red, asking for Mr. Noth, and with her came her large and awkward son. Mrs. Eggins, the caretaker, glanced up the street, and then she let them in and left them to wait in the drawing-room amongst furniture all mysterious with sheets. For a long while they waited, and then there was the smell of pipe tobacco, and there was Nuth standing quite close to them. Lord, said the old woman, whose bonnet was lined with red, you did make me start. And then she saw by his eyes that that was not the way to speak to Mr. Noth. And at last, Noth spoke, and very nervously the old woman explained that her son was a likely lad and had been in business already, but wanted to better himself. And she wanted Mr. Noth to teach him a livelihood. First of all, Noth wanted to see a business reference and when he was shown one from a jeweler with whom he happened to be hand-in-glove, the upshot of it was 
that he agreed to take the young Tonka, for this was the surname of the likely lad, and to make him his apprentice. And the old woman, whose bonnet was lined with red, went back to her little cottage in the country, and every evening said to her old man, Tonka, we must fasten the shutters of a night-time, for Tommy's a burglar now. The details of the likely lad's apprenticeship I do not propose to give, for those are in the that are in the business know those details already, and those that are in other businesses care only for their own, while men with of leisure who have no trade at all would fail to appreciate the gradual degrees by which Tommy Tonka came first to cross bare boards, covered with little obstacles in the dark, without making a sound, and then to go silently up creaky stairs, and to open doors, and lastly to climb. Let it suffice that the business prospered greatly, while glowing reports of Tommy Tonka's progress were sent from time to time to the old woman, whose bonnet was lined with a red in the laborious handwriting of Mr. Nuth. Nuth had given up lessons in writing very early, for he seemed to have some prejudice against forgery, and therefore considered writing a waste of time. And then there came the transaction with Lord Castle Norman at his Surrey residence. Nuth selected a Saturday night and by eleven o'clock the whole house was quiet. Five minutes before midnight, Tommy Tonka, instructed by Mr. North, who waited outside, came away with one pocket full of rings and shirt studs. It was quite a light pocketful, but the jewelers in Paris could not match it without sending specially to Africa so that Lord Castlenorman had to borrow bone-shirt studs. Not even rumour whispered the name of Noth. Were I to say that this turned his head, there are those to whom the assertion would give pain, for his associates hold that his astute judgment was unaffected by circumstance. I will say, therefore, that it spurred his genius to plan what no burglar had ever planned before. It was nothing less than to burgle the house of the Knowles. And this abstemious man unfolded to Tonka over a cup of tea. Had Tonka not been nearly insane with pride over his, their recent transaction, he, and had he not been blinded by a veneration for Noth, he would have. But I cry over spilled milk. He expostulated respectfully. He said he would rather not go. He said it was not fair. He allowed himself to argue, and in the end 
One windy October morning with a menace in the air found him and Noth drawing near to the dreadful wood. Noth, by weighing little emeralds against pieces of common rock, had ascertained the probable weight of those house ornaments that the nose believed to possess in the narrow lofty house wherein they have dwelt from old. They decided to steal two emeralds and to carry them between them on a cloak. But if they should be too heavy, one must be dropped at once. Nuth warned young Tonker against greed and explained that the emeralds were worth less than cheese until they were safe away from the dreadful wood. Everything had been planned, and they walked now in silence. No track led up to the sinister gloom of the trees, either of men or cattle. Not even a poacher had been there snaring elves for over hundred years. You did not trespass twice in the dells of the knolls. And apart from the things that were done there, the trees themselves were a warning and did not wear the wholesome look of those that we plant ourselves. The nearest village was some miles away, with the backs of all its houses turned to the wood, and without one window at all facing in that direction. They did not speak of it there, and elsewhere it was unheard of. Into this wood stepped Nuth and Tummy Tonker. They had no firearms. Tonker asked for a pistol, but Noth replied that the sound of a shot would bring everything down on us, and no more was said about it. Into the wood they went all day, deeper and deeper. They saw the skeleton of some early Georgian poacher nailed to a door in an oak tree. Sometimes they saw a fairy scuttle away from them. Once Tonker stepped heavily on a hard, dry stick, after which they both lay still for twenty minutes. The sunset flared full of omens through the tree trunks, and night fell, and they came by fitful starlight, as Nuth had foreseen, to that lean, high house where the gnolls so secretly dwelt. All was so silent by that unvalued house that the faded courage of Tonker flickered up, but to Nuth's experienced sense it seemed too silent. And all the while there was that look in the sky that was worse than a spoken doom, so that Nuth as is often the case when men are in doubt, had leisure to fear the worst. Nevertheless, he did not abandon the business, but sent the likely lad with the instruments of his trade by means of the ladder to the old green casement. And the moment that Tonker touched the withered boards, the silence that, though ominous, was earthly, 
became unearthly like the touch of a ghoul. Ed Tonker heard his breath offending against that silence, and his heart was like mad drums in the night attack, and a string of one of his sandals went tap on a rung of a ladder, and the leaves of the forest were mute, and the breeze of the night was still, and Tonker prayed that a mouse or a mole might make any noise at all. But not a creature stirred, even Nuth was still. And then, and there, while yet he was undiscovered, the likely lad made up his mind, as he should have done long before, to leave those colossal emeralds where they were and have nothing further to do with the lean, high house of the knolls but to quit from the sinister wood in the nick of time and retire from business at once and buy a place in the country. Then he decided softly and beckoned to Nuth. But the gnolls had watched him through knavish holes that they bore in trunks of trees and in the unearthly silence gave way, as it were with a grace to the rapid screams of Tonker as they picked up, picked him up behind at screams that came faster and faster until they were incoherent and where they took him it is not good to ask and what they did with him I shall not say. Nuth looked on for a while from the corner of the house with mild surprise on his face as he rubbed his chin for the trick of the holes in the trees was new to him. Then he stole nimbly away through the dreadful wood. And did they catch Noth? You ask me, gentle reader. Oh no, my child, for such a question is childish. Nobody ever catches Noth. So, hopefully... You all enjoyed that um, bit of prose. Uh, Lord Dunsany does get very wordy, has some very long sentences. Um, the gnolls and their love of emeralds is a nice little bit, and how they like hide in the trees and stuff and look out, peering at the... Uh, their intended victims as kind of reminiscent of how um, Nuth is described where he'll be looking at the people who come and uh, ask for his uh, his business they need somebody to get something for them so he's examining them and then he appears at their elbow, so to speak, and um, also the fact that he's kind of like, yeah, Tommy, yeah, okay, all right, that's how they did it, oh, okay, and he just leaves, and it gives you the suggestion that this has happened before, he's had other apprentices who have just kind of stepped on the wrong spot, so to speak. So, um, 
If you enjoyed this, let me know. If you haven't enjoyed this, let me know. I'm just giving you options. Um, send me a voice message via Anchor or uh, send me an email. Uh, I'll put it in the uh, show notes. James Yoder underscore artist at yahoo.com. There's my game blog, which is randomencountersohio.blogspot.com. Um, there's my art gallery, which it should, the blog on there should be picking up because July is World Watercolor Month. And that is James Yoder Artist, that's all one word, dot wix.com slash my site. So, to all of you out there, thanks for listening, thanks for tuning in and uh we'll be back um definitely thursday might have a little something uh wednesday but um nothing scheduled so take care and uh enjoy your day bye